invite you to turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. We are going to be learning the lesson of humility. And uh, when Pastor Tom asked me to teach, I, of course, didn't want to step on anyone else's toes or teach what someone else was teaching. And I thought, Numbers. No one will be teaching Numbers. But as John Bepko told me yesterday, he said, hey, I just taught that lesson in Sunday school down in the children's building. So if there are any children in here, do not spoil the lesson for your parents and tell them the ending. Well, you can probably think back to a time in your life to when someone taught you something, whether it was how to throw a ball or how to ride a bike or how to drive a car, whatever it was, some sort of a a tool that you needed in life. Maybe it was how to read or how to bake something or do something in particular. Well, God teaches us through the word and through life circumstances key lessons that we need to know for our spiritual walk in him. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul tells us that with Israel, with most of them, God was not well pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also crave. So when we come to the book of Numbers, as Paul commands us, we need to consider what went on with Israel so we know what mistakes not to make and how to change things. It's really easy to pick on Israel, isn't it? Oh, why didn't you trust God? And why didn't you do this? And why did you worship those idols? And then we consider our own life and we say, oh, I struggle with the same things that you struggled with. Why am I not making those changes Moses, at the end of his life, wrote the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, he's giving a a second giving of the law. And he's about to leave the people. He's not going to be able to lead them into the promised land. So he's writing down lots of things for them to remember. And he says in Deuteronomy 24, 9, Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way as you came out of Egypt. And you're thinking, what did God do? to Miriam. Well, that's what we're going to learn today in Numbers 12. God taught Miriam and Aaron a lesson in humility, and it is a lesson that we must learn from today as well. When it comes to the book of Numbers, the the theme is wilderness wanderings. We understand the Exodus where Moses led the people out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea, and now they are starting to, to divide up and number the families and all of those things, and they're getting ready to go into the promised land. Talk Through the Bible by Wilkinson and Boa summarizes the book of Numbers with this. Only a year has passed since the exodus from Egypt when the book of Numbers opens. Numbers is the book of divine discipline. Shows the painful consequences of unbelief and irresponsible decisions on the part of God's chosen people. Numbers begins with the old generation, moves through the tragic transition period, and then it ends with the new generation that is poised at the doorstep of the land of Canaan. It also can be divided into the first 10 chapters are the area, the region of Sinai, and then you have the wilderness, and then it ends with the plains of Moab as they are preparing to enter into the promised land. Through all of Numbers, what God is teaching them in these wilderness wanderings is to trust him. 
to do what he says to do, not what they want to do, to not think selfishly, but to think collectively about what God wants and what God desires. If you need water, God will give it to you. If you need food, God will give it to you. You need protection, God will give it to you. And we see it over and over again in Numbers. And they get to an area and they don't have any water, and so they, they grumble and cry and complain. And God's gracious and gives it to them. Or they, they're running out of food or they want a different type of food. God rains down manna from heaven for them. They have an enemy. God raises them up and miraculously protects them. They need a leader? Well, they have Moses. But these hard-hearted people aren't learning the lesson. And so today in verse 1, we first of all come to the issue. The issue, which is found in verses 1 through 3. The issue is with Miriam... And Aaron, who are Moses' older brother and sister. What did Miriam and Aaron have against Moses? God chose Moses to lead the people, right? He's been doing a good job. What could they possibly have against him? In verse 1, it says that Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. They weren't just thinking this. They started an outright rebellion because they were convinced that it was the right thing. Well, what did they have against him? It could be there's two possible options here. The first one would be that Moses has disqualified himself as their leader. Now, that's not the right option, okay? So if you don't want to write that one down, you don't have to. But it says they spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. And just so we're clear, Moses himself writes... For he had married a Cushite woman. When it comes to the Cushites, we don't necessarily know who they are or where they're from. Some would say that it's a a region from Ethiopia. Um, You're wondering, where's Zipporah in all of this? We know that Moses was married to Zipporah. Some would say that Zipporah is the Cushite woman. But I find that hard to believe because this is a number of years later and they've never said anything about her beforehand. But also, they all know her name. So why wouldn't they say Zipporah, who was a Cushite? This most likely is a new bride. Now, it's not an additional bride. He's not uh, breaking God's law and adding on a second wife. Zipporah apparently has passed away, and Moses is every right to remarry. But he remarries someone that's not an Israelite. It's not an Israelite. Is this wrong? Where did he find her? Well, if you flip to Exodus 12 with me, we see a very possible answer to how this woman became a part of the nation of Israel. They are, the Passover happens. Egypt is sick of the Israelites. They're telling them to get out. And the people in this are plundering the Egyptians and leaving with their flocks, with their families, with with gold, with provisions. And it says in chapter 12, verse 33, the Egyptians urged the people to send them out of the land in haste. God has ravaged the Egyptians with the Passover and with the plagues, and they said, get out, for we will all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened with the kneading bowls bound up in the clothes on their shoulders. And now the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses. For they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have their request. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. 
Verse 37, now the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot aside from children. And here we go, a mixed multitude also went up with them. There were people living in Egypt that were not Israelites. And they saw what Yahweh did. What the one true God did when pitted against the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh, Yahweh destroyed him. And they said, can I be on your team? I want to be on your team. And that's what Israel was about, right? Israel was set up in a strategic location geographically so that the world would see their faith and their love and their trust and their righteousness and their victories and that the people would stream like the Queen of Sheba and want to be a part of them. Well, there are some that said, I want in. And God graciously says, absolutely. Absolutely. So most likely, this is when this Cushite woman became part of the nation of Israel. Now, is it wrong for Moses to marry her? She's a foreigner, right? And we think back to all the horror stories. You talk about learning from Israel. Nehemiah, what happened when the people uh, married the foreign women? What happened um, when, when Balak and all of those things and the, the mm. well, here we have a different situation. Moses isn't marrying this woman, and she's not going to pull his heart away from the Lord. Her heart has already been given to the Lord. You see, in, in Numbers 9, verse 13, says, But the man who is clean and is not on a journey, and yet neglects to observe the Passover, that person shall be cut off from his people, for he did not present the offering of the Lord at his appointed time. That man will bear his sin. So you have an Israelite, one of God's chosen people. But he's not going to worship God as he should worship God, so he gets cut off. But what about verse 14? But if an alien sojourns among you and observes the Passover to the Lord according to the statue of the Passover and according to his ordinances, so he shall do, you shall have one statue, both for the alien and for the native of the land. The one who signs on and believes in Yahweh and follows the law, they get included with everybody else. And that's this Cushite woman. So Moses has done nothing wrong. Everything within his rights, he has done. So he has not disqualified himself as leader. But Miriam and Aaron are going to prey upon either the ignorance or the immaturity of the audience. And they're going to say, hey, look what Moses did. Sure, you want to follow him? Look what Moses did. The second option, when you look at verse 2, is more likely it is because they are jealous, they are prideful, and they are selfish. They are jealous and they are prideful and they are selfish. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And we're getting traumatic uh, flashbacks to the garden. Has the Lord indeed said the serpent trying to trick Eve. Did God indeed say, has God only chosen Moses? And we need to understand that there are times, I don't, this might, it's probably not true of your family, maybe of other families, where brothers and sisters don't get along. Probably not true of your, there's probably a family that you know, that you know, that you know, and there's a little bit of sibling rivalry going on. 
And here we have, as far as we know, the youngest child, which I'm not going to go there, but there's a common saying that the youngest child's always the best child. But you have the youngest child who has been elevated in the eyes of Yahweh. And the older brother and the older sister who have done great things for the Lord are now jealous about this. They're upset about this. If you go simply to Numbers 11, flip over one chapter, you see the context of what's going on. The people have gotten to a point where they're starting to grumble, they're starting to complain, they're starting to say, I want meat, or I want this, and I want all of these things. They've been together for a while now, and now the leadership is grumbling against Moses. But let's look at Numbers 11, start verse 1. Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And this is a common theme in chapter 11 and chapter 12. The fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. Now wouldn't that help solve some of the, the family disputes that come up? God hears the disagreement and fire rains down. The people, therefore, cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died out. And this is the pattern. Moses is a picture of Christ, is he not? He is the one that is to intercede on their behalf, just like we cry out to Jesus. Jesus takes our cries to the Father. They cry to Moses, Moses cries to God. Verse 4, the rabble who were among them had greedy desires. No, really? And also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? For we remember the fish which we used to eat in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. And now you kind of understand, right? This is, must be a difficult life. If they're wanting fish, if they're wanting vegetables, saying that's the good stuff. Ooh, I mean, I'm, where are the Twinkies? All right, where are the Little Debbies? Where are the donuts? All right, where are the sausage rolls? That's the good stuff, people. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. Now the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of bedellium. So the, the manna was delicious. It was delicious. But they wanted something else than what God had given them. Skip down to verse 13. Moses is interacting with God through this. He says, where am I to get meat to, eat, to give all this people? For they weep before me saying, give us meat that we may eat. I am alone, am not able to carry all this people because it is too burdensome for me. Moses says, God, I, I've done all I can do, poured out every ounce of energy to this people. I got nothing left. I got nothing left. So Moses went to the right place, didn't he? Verse 15, so if you're going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once. If I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my righteousness. And the Lord loves Moses, obviously. So Yahweh therefore said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men from the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and their officers, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand with you. Then I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take of the Spirit which is upon you, and I will put him on them, so that they will bear the burden of the people with you, so that you will not bear it all alone. Wow, what an answer prayer. God says, take 70 faithful men, let's bring them in, the Holy Spirit that indwells you and empowers you, they're also going to get the Holy Spirit. This is awesome. This is awesome. Look at verse 24. 
Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And also he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and stationed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and he, he spoke to them. And he took of the spirit who was upon him and placed him upon the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. But they did not do it again. But two men had remained in the camp. And the name of the one was Eldad and the other Medad. And the Spirit rested upon them. Then they were among those who had been registered but had not gone out to the tent. And they prophesied in the camp. So a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the attendant of Moses from his youth, said, Moses, my Lord, restrain them. But Moses, humble man that he is, said to them, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Then Moses returned to the camp, both he and the elders of Israel. Now, who is not a part of this? Miriam and Aaron, they're not a part of this. And it just happens to be coincidence that now they're upset and they're trying to climb the ladder over their brother. They're trying to take his reputation and tarnish it. They're trying to say, look, God's spoken through us in the past. Pride destroys. Jealousy is a monster that will not stop. And so we internalize this in our own lives. Is there anyone that I'm jealous of? Is there any pride in my life that I need to put off so that I may be clothed with humility. I mean, Moses was the leader of the people, and they wanted that position, but God had not given it to them. And what God does not give to us, we don't lust after. We don't lust after it. But you love the end of verse 2, right? And the Lord heard it. He heard it. He knew what was going on. How did Moses respond? How did Moses respond? It's our second outline point. Verse 3 says, Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who is on the face of the earth. Now what is interesting about that statement? Moses wrote this. Now, if I write an email and I put in it that Justin, no, no, but remember, Moses is writing this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is true. This is accurate. And you know Moses. Moses might have been like, Lord, you sure? You can, we don't have to put, Okay. This verse is the key to us understanding how he responds and how we should respond. Look, when someone attacks you, when someone makes up lies about you, when someone tries to take what is yours, we, we, we want to buck up. We want to fight those people. We want, we want to fight fire with fire. Moses simply trusts in Yahweh. He's going to trust in him. And God's going to take care of the rest. The word humble, it means to bow down, but especially this word means to God. Moses just simply submitted to God. 
and God took care of the rest. Moses is the enemy of the, I said that both times, not the enemy, the innocent party. And what happens here? He's humble, and you remember this from Sunday school, the humble are exalted and the pride are destroyed. Proverbs 3, 34, though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. Psalm 138, 6, for though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. The lowly, the humble are with him, but the prideful are far from him. So that's the issue. Secondly, we're going to see the intervention. The intervention. Verse 4, suddenly. And this word suddenly is also used like in Joshua 10, 9. It's a military term where suddenly the army appeared. They weren't expecting this. They're kind of blindsided by all of this. Suddenly, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, you three come out to the tent of the meeting. God the Father is now going to deal with this family issue he's going to intervene and he says hey all of y'all come to the breakfast table we need to have a little talk here but this is actually the tent of meeting and it's going to be public and it's going to be front of everyone because God wants everyone to know we have the call to meet in verses four and five the Lord, in verse 5, came in a pillar of cloud. And, and we understand this. This is what he's been doing the whole time. At night, it was a pillar of fire that, that Jesus uh, was there so that they could follow the, the pillar of fire and they could have the security. But in the day, it was a pillar of cloud. And the pillar of cloud would go somewhere and they would follow. Kind of makes life easy, right? Go somewhere and you follow it. And God comes in the pillar of cloud, uh, of cloud because if they saw his, his true form they would be incinerated but he also wanted everybody to go hey what's the, what's the cloud for what's going on oh god is intervening about this situation that's happening and he stood at the doorway of the tent and he called aaron and miriam miriam aaron come over here and moses is probably like hmm what a scene what a scene. What's the content of the meeting? What's the content of the meeting? You see that in verse 5. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And he called Aaron and Miriam. And when they had both come forward, he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? The content of the meeting, and, and you see this, he says, hear now my words. That word here is the same Hebrew word as in verse 2. When the Lord heard, I heard you, now you will hear me. And the content is twofold. Yahweh explains his relationship with Moses. 
this Moses that you are speaking against, let me tell you a little bit about our relationship. And now, this is interesting because typically the, the, the lesser tries to associate with the greater. Here we have God himself, creator and owner of everything, saying, hey, that Moses, I really love him. We kind of do it the other way around. I, I don't know if you, if you noticed, but the, the Rangers won the World Series. And their best player is Corey Seager. And so the temptation is, oh, Corey, you see, you know what? I once talked to a guy who talked to him. It's really cool. I was at a store, and I heard that he had been there 15 minutes earlier. <laughs> or Marcus Simeon, the leadoff guy, I, I watched the game that, that he was playing, and it, it, was, it was with a ball and a stick. I watched that game. I'm special. You know, I could, you know, wouldn't be the one to point out that I saw the Maverick great A.C. Green in a movie theater or anything like that to, uh, you know, prop up my street cred with you or anything. But we typically tend to take celebrities or famous people or interactions and we say, hey, look, I know that guy. God says, hey, let me tell you how special Moses is to me. And this is the guy that you're speaking against. He calls him faithful. Faithful. That means he's been entrusted with and proven reliable. Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go, and Moses does it. Moses, do this miracle, and Moses does it. Moses, lead these people, and he leads these people. Moses, do this, and he does it. He is faithful. He is faithful. And if we're looking at characteristics of Moses saying, why can't that be me? It can be you. Humility and faithfulness with whatever God has entrusted to you. And he says, and he beholds the form of the Lord. The form of the Lord. Now, he hasn't seen exactly God, but he's seen the form of God. He's been uh, able to see kind of the essence of God in special relationships. And how amazing is that? I'd like for you to turn to Exodus 24 to highlight the preciousness of this. God's saying, look, for other prophets, i got to give them a dream. i got to give them a vision. And then they go out and they relay that. We think of like Joseph. He says, not Moses. Boom, we just speak face to face. I just tell him how it is, and, and he does it. That's how precious he is to me. Why are you going to question him? Exodus 24, verse 12, it says, Now the Lord said to Moses, Come up on the mountain and remain there. I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses arose with Aaron. Older brother doesn't get to go. The younger protege, Joshua, gets to go. Moses arose with Joshua, his servant, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. But the elders, he said, wait here for us until you return. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a legal matter, let him approach. Hey, we're going to go see what God wants. Aaron, you take care of the kids. And Aaron overall, don't get me wrong, overall, there's a lot of positive things to Aaron's walk with Yahweh. But don't we sometimes look at these situations and we don't truly recognize God's goodness and his sovereignty in it 
this person passed me over for this or whatever it is. And we start to kind of harbor those things and hold on to those things. And it, there's that jealousy that goes along with it. Well, keep reading. Verse 15, then Moses went up the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. Representing that God was there, right? The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. And to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. And that's where Moses is and Aaron's not there. Moses entered the midst of the cloud as he went up to the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. That sounds pretty cool. Wouldn't you like to do that? But it's not for us. It was for Moses. Because God has a plan. And Moses is going to faithfully carry out that plan. Now, when it comes to Aaron and Miriam, they remember Aaron was the spokesman. Uh, Moses said, God, who am I to talk to Pharaoh? Me no speaky so good. And uh, using a little bit of his excuse, maybe too much humility or whatever it is. And, and it's God who said, we'll take your brother Aaron. And so Aaron would be the spokesman. We already know through Exodus 15, 20 that Miriam was a prophetess. And when they pass through the Red Sea, she's the one that's going to lead them out with song and with dancing and, and praising of God. In Micah 6, 4, Miriam and Aaron are both commended because of what they did, the work that they did. Now, part of this is God is going to faithfully restore them after this. But if anybody could say, whoa, God. And God puts them in their place. You see, Yahweh rebukes them, rebukes Miriam and Aaron for their disobedience. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? He's not in sin. He hasn't done anything wrong. I chose him. I want him to do this. And you're trying to destroy that work. We have to realize how important this is because what's going to happen in chapter 13? They're supposed to go into the promised land and take it. And they send the spies in and the spies go, there be giants in there. We can't do this. And Moses and Joshua and Caleb stand up and say, Yahweh is bigger than them. We can do it. So this is a pivotal moment in their history. And the last thing that God needs is someone trying to discredit their leader. Jealousy, pride, and selfishness are such a deterrent to God's kingdom work. We're to what? Love others as we love ourselves. We are to consider others better than ourselves. And Christian, that's how we model Christ. And that's how we show the world who he is and what he does. Well, lastly, we have the intercession. The intercession, and it's verses 9 through 16. First of all, Miriam becomes leprous. Verse 9, so the anger of the Lord, we saw this before, right, burned against them and he departed. You first of all don't want God angry at you, but then you don't want him to take his presence from you. One of the joys and the blessings of being a Christian, of being in Christ, is the nearness of God is my good. I want God near me, but God here leaves. And it says, but when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent... And we don't know how instantaneous this is, but it seems like it's pretty quick. Now, we sometimes as parents will tell our kids, hey, tomorrow we'll tell you the consequences. Why? Because we, you know, we want them to stew a little bit and think about it all night and toss and turn. And then, bam, we hit them with the big stuff the next day. 
Well, here the bam just happens. It's pretty significant. Miriam was leprous. When the presence of God departed from her, she was leprous. She was white as snow. We're normally like, yay, white as snow. That's when our sin has been cleansed. This is not good. And we know leprosy, people didn't want to be around you. They put you outside the tent. There are all these rules and all these laws. Your, your flesh is eating itself. You're, you're numb. Your fingers are, all of those things. This, this is not good. And this is not the only time that God uses leprosy as judgment. Miriam was leprous as white as snow. He had departed. He had withdrawn. And he had punished her. Now, why her? Why her? Well, she's the one that's spearheading this attack. She's the ringleader, and Aaron is along for the ride. He, he's as guilty as her, but God is especially addressing this with her. Now we see in verses 11 and 12, Aaron begs for Moses to intercede. Aaron begs for Moses to intercede, and there's such urgency in Aaron's words. Aaron said to Moses, oh Lord, I beg you, do not account this sin to us in which we have acted foolishly in which we have sinned. Oh, do not let her be like one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes from his mother's womb. Why is Aaron so urgent? Aaron has seen God consume people by fire. Aaron seen his own people have to kill his own people because of their sin. Aaron has seen the judgment of the Lord. And when God does something, he does it perfectly. He doesn't know the end of the story. He just sees his sister that he loves. And he is associating this, I'm just as guilty as her. And now she's paying for it. And what is interesting about this? He does not cry out to Yahweh. He asked Moses, the one he was trying to discredit, the one he was speaking against, because God wants it this way. He wants them to know, I have a servant, I have an intercessor, his name is Moses, you go to him. And if you don't want this sin to be held against you, you go to Moses who goes to me, which reminds us of Christ, does it not? That word account we saw it in Genesis 3.15 at the fall, the, where God says he would put, he would hold account in between, between man and Satan. We also see it in, in various Psalms, how God holds sin against us. Psalm 98, you have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. My sin is present before me, and it separates me from God. He has withdrawn. He has departed. Just like in the garden, Adam and Eve were put out of the garden, which symbolized their broken relationship with God. He was holding their sin against them. There was a barrier. But we know that if we run to the cross, if we go to Jesus Christ and we repent, then we will be white as snow in the good way. All of our sin will be washed away. We'll be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And as we sit here today in a, a group this large, no doubt there are some of you that are unbelievers. And maybe you fell asleep a while ago, or maybe you care nothing about humility, or you don't care about the, the Word, or maybe you think you're okay just because you showed up this morning. You're doing your nod to God. 
God sees your heart, he sees your sin, and he will punish it. And when Aaron saw the judgment of God, he immediately repented. And what I want to tell you, unbeliever, you will be cast into the lake of fire. Perpetual and eternal torment. Because you have sin that God holds in account. But if you will repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be cleansed from your sin. Moses is going to intercede in verses 13 and 14. What do you think you would do there? Ah, you know, Aaron, (laughs) she did kind of speak against me. Maybe just a couple days. Just let her stew on it. Immediately, Moses cried out to the Lord, Oh, God, heal her, I pray. He loves her. Humble man. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had spit in her face, would she not bear her shame for seven days? Let her be shut up for seven days outside the camp, and afterwards she may be received again. And then we see Miriam is restored in verses 15 and 16. Miriam was shut outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on until Miriam was received again. Well, hey, why aren't we going? Well, Miriam. There's a shame to this. Sin still has consequences. You see the grace and the mercy of God, but there are still consequences. And afterward, the people moved out and they camped in the wilderness of Paran. Well, as we conclude Numbers 12, and we talk about these lessons learned, what is it that I am to learn today? What are you to learn today from this beautiful, true passage of Scripture? First of all, what do I learn about the character of God? What do I learn about the character of God? Because the God of numbers is the God of today. We learn that he is omnipresent. We learn that he knows everything. We, we learn that he has a sovereign plan and a sovereign will. We learn that he is a faithful God to those that are faithful to him. We learn that he's gracious to include the Gentiles in his plan, even including this, this Cushite woman in the God's chosen people. We see that he's a God of justice, but he's also a God of mercy. We see that he has an intercessor, and we know that that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So much to learn from God. And so we praise him, and we thank him, and we trust him. We trust him, just like Moses did. How can I avoid being like Miriam and Aaron in today's passage? Deuteronomy 24.9, remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam. Think of this. Every time that pride monster jumps inside your head, every time you start becoming jealous or envious, please think of her. Now, that doesn't mean that that God's going to make you leprous in that moment. If he wanted to, he could, but he doesn't always work that way. This is a very special circumstance. But he still hates that sin. He still hears. He still hears. Do my personal pursuits or desires get in the way of God's kingdom work? God had kingdom work to do through Moses. Take these people to the promised land. And Miriam and Aaron said, "Um, excuse me, I've got something else. Remember the interaction in Mark 8 with Jesus and Peter? Jesus saying how he had to suffer and die. And Peter says, oh, may it never be, Lord. But turning around and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. That might be worse than leprosy. To have Jesus say that to you? 
But why did he say that? For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. You must set your mind on things above, on God's kingdom, on his interests, and then you can lay aside the pride, lay aside the jealousy, lay aside the selfishness, and clothe yourself with humility. Speaking of humility, number three, how can I strive to be more like Moses? Remember verse three, he's the most humble. He lived it out in verse 13. This wasn't a ha-ha, look at me, I told you so. Humility. We know that the, the source of quarrels and disagreements among us from James 4 is our own selfishness, our own pride. But we must repent of those things and put on and cultivate humility. Doing what is right, knowing that God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And did he not do it in Numbers 12? And will he not do it for you today, Christian? Let's pray. Most gracious and awesome Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful chapter. We thank you for your patience and for your grace and for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for restoring Miriam and Aaron. Well, the grace and all of that. And it gives us hope that when we sin and we repent, we know that you will forgive us and you will restore us. But help us work hard and put in maximum human effort to allow your Holy Spirit to guide us in your truth and in your ways, humbly submitting to your plan, furthering your kingdom for your good and for your glory. We love you, Lord God. It's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen.